There is a divine design. It's written into the universe, into our bodies, into the natural world, and into the spiritual world. It's something that you can know, live, and it's something that can change who you are. And for the better, I would think. I mean, the divine design sounds like a pretty trustworthy brand, right? So it's got to do something good for us. So where is the instruction manual for this divine design? Is it out in the stars or in some meta dimension? Actually, it's a little closer to home. Just look in the mirror. You're wearing a microcosm of the divine design right now. Let's look at how our bodies connect to God's design of the universe. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg in Life. And I've got good news. Just by doing what you're already doing, what I'm doing, just living in a human body, way to stick at it, by the way, you have access to being able to experience and study God's design for everything, the divine design itself, okay? We are an instance of the divine design. Now, before that goes to our heads too much, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of examples of people getting certain religious ideas that make it so that they no longer think they have to care for the environment that we're in. Everything's in the divine design. And just, you don't want to walk around all puffed up from it. Everything is part of the divine design, right? We, uh, there's uh, creatures, even in it, things we consider inanimate, are playing a role in this design, divine design and function. And we also spent a lot of time on that in the previous episode in this series. The pattern of God has been built into the universe. So go check that out for background and grounding. But we are focusing on a particular index or totality or microcosm of the divine design that the human being is. So we are this very special gathering of the elements here. And Swedenborg talks about this in his book, True Christianity. Each and everything in the universe was created with its own design so that it would continue to exist on its own. This happened from the very beginning so that each thing could be part, become part of the overall design of the universe. It's all meant to do something. And each thing has its own role, so it's got its own blueprint for that, but it all works together. So it's this composite, unified direction everything's going in, even if it doesn't seem like that at first glance. The purpose is that the individual designs shall continue to exist within the universal design so that all are one. And that is cool because that's Swedenborg's idea that he reports of what it is to be one. It's not that you're all the same, it's that the, you all can work together compatibly for a purpose. The human being was created with a design of its own. And also each individual part of a human being was created with a design of its own. The head has its own design, body has its, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the pancreas, and the stomach have their own designs. Every organ of motion, called a muscle, has its own design. Every organ of sensation, such as the eye, the ear, and the tongue, has its own design. In fact, there's not a capillary or fibril in the human body that lacks its own design. Yet all these countless parts connect with the overall design and join up with it in such a way that together they form one overall design. Now you're probably looking at your watch and saying, for how long on this video that I've chosen to give my attention to, are you just gonna tell me stuff I already know from HB class in high school? The idea is you have this whole universe full of things that we were describing, right? There's all these different things that appear in it and Swedenborg is claiming that even though they're all very different, they're working together for this universal goal and we, are that same spirit brought into a single 
organism. So we have all of these different parts in us that are working together for homeostasis or for health. And actually, if you took all the different functions that each of those parts play, all the muscles and livers and everything he was talking about, that is all the major functions of the divine design pulled together into one amazingly detailed, precise iteration of that divine design, which is you and which is me and which is pretty cool. So, but it's something we've got to dig into a little bit more because this is what is meant when we talk about being made in the image and likeness of God. But before you go around saying that to people, you've got to really be able to back it up with some knowledge. So what does it mean that we are this image of the divine? In the very first chapter in Genesis, we read about the creation of humankind. And God said, let us make a human in our image after our likeness. And God created the human in his image. In God's image, he created them male and female. He created them. The form we exist in as finite humans originated in our creator. But form is not just about shape. It's about the kind of mind that we have. And our shape, in a way, represents our mind and the divine origin of the ability to be human. Swedenborg learned that from most ancient times, people saw and understood their creator as human. This is Secrets of Heaven 49. To members of the earliest church, whom the Lord addressed face to face, he appeared as a human being. As a consequence, they used the term human for none but him or for his qualities. They did not even call themselves human, accepting whatever they could tell he gave them, such as all the good embraced by love and all the truth espoused by faith. These traits they described as human because they were the Lord's. Because of the limitations of English, there are only male pronouns in that quote. But the Bible says that the male and female form both originate in the one creator, as we read. Each represents particular aspects of the one God. And this brings to mind the ancient mythology where one God was seemingly split into many different facets and different characters. And you see gods, you see goddesses, you even see animal-like deities. And ancient mythology echoes this ancient ability to depict qualities of the one God in both male and female forms. And even the deities that they depicted in animal form retain some human aspect. They either have human body parts or they have human speech, human emotions, human thoughts. If you go forward in time from there to the prophets in the Old Testament, they saw visions of God, and again, in human form. Ezekiel 1 says, Above the expanse was a seeming appearance of sapphire stone, like a throne, and on the likeness of a throne was what looked like the appearance of a person on it, high above. And Daniel 7, also in a vision, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. This is a human being that he sees. And even the prophets who didn't see God visually still conversed with God. They heard the voice of God in a way that one human converses with another. 
But beyond even that, true humanity as it exists in God is more than just a certain body structure or the ability to use language. It really has to do at its core, what is truly human is a state of genuine love and the wisdom that comes from it. You might say, you're just stretching and redefining the term human. It's a nice sentiment, but that's not what human actually means. Well, you already think it means that, or, or culturally we do. Look at the way we use the term human in language. And to prove it, we've got, we're going to dip back into our Off the Left Eye archives to bring you a Swedenborg Minute that we did about this use of the term human and, and what that signifies. Chances are, all of us who watch videos like this one are what we would call human beings. We're the only species that can operate machines like laptops or smartphones or bulldozers. So, wait, what? Look at this article. The inhuman yet human bulldozers came at dawn. Has another species figured out how to use excavating equipment? The article is about government-backed bulldozers, driven by humans, that leveled a poor village because it lacked the correct building permits to exist. The situation and the politics of that article aside, all I want to look at is the title. We label actions that we perceive to be evil in some way as inhuman, as if having a physical human body isn't enough to guarantee us a spot in the human club. You've got to act like a human too. Swedenborg wrote that a truly human being is someone who acts and thinks from a perspective of love, selflessness, and compassion. Our human form, our faces, our hands, our bodies are an image of this ideal. So we sense the discord when someone looks like a human being on the outside, but is inhuman in the way they view and treat others. In a way, being human is a goal, something we can all be striving toward. That little guy is right. <laughs> you, you can lose your humanity. The, this, our sense of humanity is something that we can drift away from. We can become inhuman. And this is not something that can just happen to us as individuals. The whole human race can drift out of this, the human we're meant to be in. And when that happens, there's a ma massive course correction that has to happen. And Swedenborg asserts that this came through the person of Jesus Christ. Can I talk to you about Jesus for a minute? This was God manifesting as divine humanity in part to keep this concept of the humanity of God from disappearing. There's actually a trajectory that's chronicled of, of just why we ended up needing the Jesus situation. And this is, uh, it starts with what we could call the earliest church or the earliest spiritual mindset, which was very connected and very much living in the ideal pattern. Swedenborg describes it in Secrets of Heaven. The earliest people were unable to perceive or picture the infinite presence and its emergence from infinite reality as anything but a divine human. Whatever comes from infinite reality and passes through heaven as a universal human carries this human image with it in every aspect. When this heavenly church began to slide, meaning we started to prioritize selfishness and materialism over love for the human race and love for God, its people foresaw that the infinite presence would no longer be able to exert an influence on human minds. So what? Who cares if it does that? And that the human race would be destroyed as a result. Yeah, our consciousness absolutely rests on this, this system working well. So this is not a small deal. It's a pretty big deal. Therefore, they received a revelation that one would be born who would make the humanity in himself divine. 
In the process, he would become the same infinite presence that had existed before, and at the last, he would become one with infinite reality that had also existed before. So he's this grand uniter of the two and was going to fix this massive problem. And this is the, the pr- one, one instance, perhaps, of this prophecy that Swedenborg is talking about is in early Genesis. This is actually being spoken to a snake, the serpent of the Garden of Eden, and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So is that like there's not really an imminent threat to, imminent threat to the human race from snakes. You know, they can cause problems, but it's not us against snakes. So why are we being told about this clash between? Well, this represents the two, the two sides of us. The woman is the human part of us, and the snake is the inhuman. What, what we can get into when selfishness and materialism take hold. So to say, look, what's going to save us is, is this humanity, and particularly the way God will revive humanity you know, through the Jesus Project in the human race. And then in John 1.14, maybe you know this one, and the Word became flesh and resided among us, and we saw His glory. This is about God's humanity being interacted with by earthly humanity. So what makes, a, what do you have to do to trigger a, a Jesus phenomenon happening? This is the, these are the conditions that we were in. When there was no longer any human on the earth, there's, there's people, right? But something's missing. No longer anything heavenly or spiritual in people. The Lord deigned to take on a human nature by being born like any other person. He rendered this humanity divine and in the process made it the only human. There's obviously still us, but what's he talking about? The only human, meaning that this love and wisdom, this incarnation is the thing that we follow to be human. In the Lord's eyes, the whole of heaven reflects the image of a human being because it reflects Him. Heaven is called the universal human, which we've done quite a lot of video about, particularly because the Lord is the all in all there. Why is heaven reflective of a human being? Because the Lord is a human being. And when you get all these different people in this state of love and they all decide, I'm going to go do what I need to do to help the rest and the whole thrive, does that remind you of anything? It's the human form. This is just like we were talking about liver and pancreas and spleen and muscles and eyes all working together for the common good. That's the mindset of heaven. And so you can see heaven as a human being and why is all this stuff line up with it? Because that's the heart of God. That is divine love and wisdom which wants to bring infinite things toward a purpose that has to do with love. And Jesus making, taking that divine love and wisdom and putting it into a single person through this divine human incarnation did such a solid for the human race that still today, it's not just about what Jesus did back then. He created, uh, as I said before, infrastructure that we're still using today to maintain this flow from God through heaven into us. This is Secrets of Heaven. Again, the Lord's humanity is the source from which divine truth now emanates and flows into heaven and through heaven into human minds. This is what your mind is sponsored by this inflow into heaven. It is one and the same with the infinite reality because the Lord united humanity with divinity and did so by making the humanity in himself divine. Clearly then, come on, duh, the highest form of divine truth is the Lord's divine humanity. So somehow you think it's just a person, it's just a form, but that can hold truth in it. And consequently, the supreme doctrinal teaching is that his humanity 
is divine. This is why Jesus is so important, because Jesus is this humanity and divinity united. So even though you, you have the story of the person of Jesus who seems to be in a particular part of the world, interacting with particular people at a particular time, what he was doing there is something universal for all of humankind all the time. That The very goodness and truth coming into our minds right now, that path was forged by Jesus in this human incarnation. So as we were saying, to be human is to think and will in a way that resembles God. I mean, Jesus was the epitome of that, and that's something that we're all striving towards, and it's something that's reflected in this form that we have. So how then does, do our physical bodies connect us with both the physical level here, but then all that spiritual stuff we are talking about above us, where we have this connection with heaven as well? How, do our, how does our form connect us to both? We're created out of both spiritual substances and physical substances. The physical substances connect us to the dense, stable foundation of the physical realm where we get our start and grow the roots of our eternal identity. And we truly are a part of the design of this physical universe we're born into. Swedenborg writes, humankind was created so that the Lord's divine qualities could descend through us right to the last level of nature and climb from the last level of nature up to him. In this way, humankind would be an intermediary uniting divinity with the world of nature and the world of nature with divinity. Through humankind as the uniting medium, the very last plane of nature would be alive with divinity. This would actually happen if we lived according to the divine plan. Swedenborg has a lot to say about this unique role that we are to play in creation. Our very bodies are made for it. Evidence that we were created to play this role is the fact that our body is a microcosm, since every secret thing in the world of nature is stored in it. Anything hidden in the ether or modified forms of the ether is stored in the eye, and anything hidden in the air is stored in the ear. Whatever invisible elements float and stir in the air is stored and sensed in the organ of smell, and those in water or any other liquid in the organ of taste. The actual changes in the state of those organs are stored away throughout the organs in the sense of touch. Entities that lie still more deeply hidden would be perceived by our inner organs if our lives were in order. Clearly then, what is divine would come down through us into the last plane of nature and would go back up from there to the divinity. If with faith in our heart or with love, we would only acknowledge the Lord as our first and final goal. Our physical bodies have been amazingly crafted to operate in a physical atmosphere and take in and react to physical stimuli. Think of it of how our bodily surfaces are held in shape by particular atmospheric pressures. Our ears and lungs are made to take in and process earthly air and the sound waves that travel through it. Our eyes are made to take in and process physical light to understand our surroundings. Our nostrils and tongues are made to determine the quality of particles that enter our bodies. Nerve endings in our skin are made to determine the quality of things in our environment and whether they're safe or dangerous. 
And there are even deeper, more subtle forces of magnetism, gravity, and other energy fields that our bodies are built to live in. But even beyond this, our bodies have an even deeper connection with the universe. Swedenborg writes, we are a microcosm or little universe because the created universe has a human image if it is seen in terms of functions. So everything in the universe has a reflection in our own bodies. And beyond this, our physical bodies also connect with the design of the spiritual world. In addition to being responsive to physical conditions, our bodies are also created to be responsive to spiritual influences and react to spiritual stimuli. This is because we have an inner self, a spiritual body connected to our physical body. Through that inner self, spiritual influences can flow into our physical body, keeping it alive. It's when the spirit leaves the body that it dies. The physical human body was created in the design of heaven so that it can receive God's life force through heaven. And the design of that flow is human. As we talked about in our show, God used a specific design to create heaven. The spiritual world was designed to reflect God's humanity. So our human bodies are not only a microcosmic image of God, which is amazing anyway, in their ideal state, human bodies are also an image of heaven itself. So Swedenborg uses this term, the grand human, to describe the design of heaven. And that's because of the way that all people and communities interact there. Did you know that? You, your form is an image of heaven itself. And it just sounds like we're trying to write a nice Hallmark card for you. Yeah, your form is heaven. How does that work? What does it mean? Swedenborg would often use the term grand human to describe the design of heaven. And the reason is it not has to do with the shape, but has to do with how people and communities of people interact there. He wrote about it in Secrets of Heaven. In a heavenly community, each member shares the good she or he has with all the other members, and everyone there shares with each individually. From this arises the good of all in general, or in other words, an overall goodness. This goodness interacts with the overall goodness of other communities, which gives rise to a still more general goodness, and finally to the most general goodness of all. General goodness. Well, think about it in terms of the body. You have all these different cells that'll contribute locally, right? But then as each one forms part of a tissue, that tissue contributes, which that, that creates a certain kind of health, but then the organ contributes. All the systems together create health. That is how people share with one another in heaven, which is why they are unified exactly like the organs, limbs, and viscera of the human body. Even though these are varied and dissimilar, they still exhibit unity by sharing in this way. Yeah, it's not about they all appear similar. It's what they do, even though what they do is not similar, but the purpose they have in doing it is very much the same. Only love, which is a spiritual bond, makes this sharing of good qualities possible. The universal agent that forms and organizes everything in general, in particular, is divine goodness born of divine love from the Lord. So something about the Lord's goodness organizes things into this human form that permeates heaven and, and through heaven, our minds and even our bodies. So every, if you just think about what is a cell, what is an organ, what role do they play? They were designed to not just contribute to the whole, but get everything that they need from the whole as well. And the, the heart that drives heaven, the spirit of heaven, is this desire to serve everyone, to serve the common good. That's what gets you up in the morning. And because everyone's doing that, everyone gets what they need because everyone is a little slice of that common good. 
So that's why Swedenborg would even see not just all of heaven, but heavenly communities or groups of angels pictured like a single person. Because even if you break it down, those people are all working together for a common good in their own little miniature. And if that sounds weird, we've got shows for that. Check out our show, The Shape of Heaven, where we dive more deeply into that concept. We also did one called The Why Is Everything? A Cellular Blueprint for Life. The idea that your cells are really exemplifying the mindset that we should all be striving towards to do this heaven thing. So because our body is a, an image or a blueprint for the heavenly mindset, looking at it can teach us things. If we look at it in the negative, you think about what, what are cells that don't contribute back to the whole and have that love of the common good. They just take and just do what they want to do regardless of outcome. I mean, that's, that's the essence of cancer, right? Is these are cells that are not fitting the plan and they are not giving back and yet they're taking. Then if you think about more in a behavioral sense, when you have a particular part of human experience, which is like the physical gratification we can get from our senses, which is meant to serve the whole and serve health. We have taste in part to help us seek out the foods that we need and are good. But if we just let a particular sense drive us for the pleasure of that sense without thinking of how it impacts the body, that has, that's out of the order of heaven. So it leads to these health consequences. We can get through that, right? So because we live in this design, because we live in this model of this design, everything that we learn about being physically healthy can teach us about the kind of goals spiritually that would lead us to heaven. Physical conditions can affect the state of our bodies, making them stronger or weaker against disease and more or less able to function. But we also know that things going on in the mind and spirit affect our physical bodies. For instance, we know that stress can make us more vulnerable to disease, while there's evidence that happiness can actually boost our immune systems. The human body was created to be a connecting place between the physical and spiritual worlds. And so it's no wonder that we can notice effects on our body from both the physical environment and the inner spirit. This is from Secrets of Heaven 6057. The spiritual world unites with the physical world in the human being. Consequently, the spiritual world flows into the physical world in such a tangible way in us that we can sense it if we simply pay attention. The same evidence shows what the interaction of the soul with the body is. Strictly speaking, it is communication between the spiritual attributes of heaven and the physical attributes of the world. Clearly, the communication relies on spiritual inflow or influence and varies in keeping with the union between inner and outer. As we talked about in our previous episode, the pattern of God has been built into the universe. All physical animals, plants, and minerals only exist because of a spiritual inflow. And for more about how this happens with animals, see our episode, Are There Animals in the Afterlife? But there's a unique interaction in humans because we can become consciously aware of both our physical and spiritual existence, our inner and outer selves, and make free will choices based on that knowledge. Amazingly, the interaction between spiritual forces and physical forces actually holds us together. There are always two forces that keep everything connected and hold it together, one acting on the outside and one on the inside. Between them is the object being maintained. This holds true for all the organs and parts of the human body. There are earthly forces working on the outside that are not intrinsically alive and forces working on the inside, intrinsically alive, 
that hold everything together and enable it to live in accordance with the form given to it for its function. Because we can think heavenly thoughts while also taking physical action, the two worlds meet right here in our bodies. This is from Secrets of Heaven 4042. Through humankind, there is a descent from the heavens into the world and an ascent from the world to the heavens. The brain and its inner depths provide the means of descent and ascent because they contain the actual rudiments or starting and ending points from which absolutely everything in the body stems and flows. They are also the source of the thoughts in our intellect and the emotions in our will. The human brain has amazingly complex systems for sending messages that cause actions in the body. But the messages that cause action are all started in our individual conscious spirits, in our decisions about what we want to invite into our lives and what we want to do. It's desires and thoughts, things of the spirit that activate those messages in the brain in the first place. And Swedenborg learned that our network of desires and thoughts are even more complex than the amazing physical brain and body, connecting beyond our own mind to many other conscious minds on Earth and in the afterlife. And for more about that, see our episode, The Angels and Evil Spirits With Us. Every single physical action that we take is a result of countless sequences and cells going through multiple systems in the brain and body. And every single thought or feeling that we have is also a result of countless sequences of spiritual influences. Thoughts and desires have an effect on actions, and actions give those thoughts and feelings an ability to have an impact and make a difference. So in our bodies, there's a powerful meeting of the worlds. And that influx or flow from heaven into the body. This was something that Swedenborg was actually able to sense happening in himself. And he wrote about it in his journal, Spiritual Experiences. He said, there is an endeavor of the heavens to hold everything together. So what's the will of heaven? Let's, let's preserve, let's keep things healthy and functioning. It was proven to me by an actual energy that came to my sensation that there is such a process of shaping and thus of maintaining the inner organs of the body, consequently an interaction of the whole heaven with each person. So there is radiating out from heaven this desire to keep you whole and healthy. Bodily peace is, of course, the health of the body and all its members. But besides health, there is also a delicious and perceptible peace of the whole body, which was made known to me by an actual and perceptible operation of spirits into the inner organs of the body. And I feel like finally, it doesn't seem that weird. Always this concept of spirits interacting with particular parts of the body that Swedenborg puts out seems very strange, but when you get to understand that all the different parts of the body are really, you know, microcosms or minor instances of the pattern in which all these spirits are living, it starts to make more sense why they would be connected there in harmony with the original shaping of the internal organs. From this, there is bodily peace. So there you have this, sure, everything's in order, but you get this peace that, oh, when things are back to working well, that that mirrors the peace of heaven, because heaven is at peace because of this, this effort to do good to all, and so the body is at peace the more that it can maintain the state in which it allows us to go and do our little parts in whatever we're trying to do in the world. That's not to say 
that we feel like that all the time. In fact, it's pretty rare that I find myself feeling like, oh, everything feels like it's working right and my back doesn't hurt and I don't have a headache. This stuff happens and obviously there's all kinds of things that lead to us having to struggle with physical challenges. There's also been a sort of breakdown of this ability of heaven to come in and give us that kind of support that Swedenborg is describing. We talked about that in our show, the collect about the collective energy field of spirits and how, as we talked about earlier in the episode, we have lost this original connection. And with that, there's all this sort of fallout. But it's cool to know that there still is that coming to an extent and that there's this the, the plan is that heaven can reinforce what we are, you know, and, and bring us more and more into that peace and that pattern of heaven. But it really doesn't, it's not like, oh, if, if I'm sick in a certain way or I, part of my body isn't there or isn't working, that I've lost sort of the correspondence or the connection to this. Like, no, our, our body is always a real connection to spiritual reality. It can always, in whatever state it's in, it can be a teacher about the ideals we're striving towards and about how the spiritual reality interfaces with physical reality. And, and it can be a teacher to us about what we're supposed to strive for in life. So let's look at a few examples of exactly how our bodies can teach us that kind of stuff. Through the science of correspondences that Manuel Swedenborg learned, our bodies are a treasure trove of information about how our minds and spiritual reality work. Here are some ways that our bodies can teach us about life. From our heart and lungs, we can learn that love and wisdom must work together. Motivations and ideas need to partner for a functioning existence. Our eyesight can teach us how we have to be enlightened with truth to understand something. When we contemplate hearing, we can think about the difference between hearing and listening. Listening takes a willingness. From the sense of smell, we can learn about the need to perceive the quality of something before we take it in. From our hands, we can learn that putting thoughts and feelings into action is the way that intentions have power and effect. Our feet can teach us that just thinking about change can't take us anywhere. We have to make an effort to get to a new place, a new state or perspective. Or from the digestive system, we can learn that thoughts and feelings have to be taken in and absorbed to become a part of our lives. Healthy thoughts and feelings will strengthen us. Unhealthy ones will weaken us. Or from the kidneys or liver, we can learn how everything we engage in has to be continuously examined for harmful motivations and goals and be purified. Our immune system can teach us how God is constantly making efforts to protect us from harm spiritually. And muscles, they're made of countless muscle fibers and cells. And from this, we can learn about how every action is a result of many layers of ideas and motivations. Every body part is made up of countless smaller parts. And that can show us how amazingly complex our lives are, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Swedenborg writes, every created thing has twofold and threefold design as the human body shows. Every nerve in the body is made of fibers, and every fiber is made of fibrils. Every muscle consists of bundles of fibers, and each bundle consists of individual motor fibers. Every artery consists of three layers of sheaths. It is the same in the human mind. Its spiritual organic structure is the same. So what does that mean? What does that do for us? 
to know that there's this amazing cohesion of structure in the physical with how things are structured in the spiritual. Well, we know we can look at the physical. We can know what makes the body work, what makes us healthy. It's when all the different parts are able to do what they need to do towards this common good, toward the health of the entire system. And that gives us a picture of how things should be on the spiritual level. And remember, the spiritual level is the level of our minds. This is the level of our motivations and of our beliefs. So if we can emulate the wisdom that we see in the body and work just like the little parts of the little bits of the body work tirelessly towards the common good, if we can be that, if we can adopt that same motivation in us, then we are really emulating heaven and not in sort of a wishy-washy way. This is literally how heaven is structured. Swedenborg puts it like this, the correspondence of the universal human with the parts of a human being applies to each and everything in us. So not just in general, every little bit to the organs, limbs, and viscera. All these elements in general and particular correspond with minute precision to the universal human and to the heavens composing it, which are just as numerous. Think of heaven as not the whole thing, but these little units that make up the universal human. The Lord's heaven, you see, is likewise divided into smaller heavens, which are divided into still smaller ones. These are divided into the smallest and finally into angels, each of which is a miniature heaven corresponding to the largest scale heaven. And how is that, how is that not awesome? Because that is exactly what you find in the body. You have, you go from the whole down to these uh, organs, to systems and then to organs and to tissues and all the way down to cells in which you see a model of the whole because cells have their own, they have their own little skin in the membrane, they have their own little organelles, they're performing the same functions, but they're part of integrated into this giant machine. All these heavens are perfectly distinct from each other, each belonging to its broader heaven, and the broader ones to the broadest of all, or the whole, which is the universal human. And not to be annoying with how much I'm digging into these correspondences, but that's just like you have a cell in the skin, and it is part of the broader heaven of that little patch of skin, which it is like and, and differentiates there. But then that's into the broader, the whole organ of the skin, which then is broader, the whole body. It's exactly the same. We are living a model of the divine design. So we are living a model of how heaven is organized and a model of how the Lord wishes we would feel and act. This is a blueprint for how we can make this heaven thing happen. So we've got that and it goes with us everywhere. So let's take care of it and let's learn from it. Let's let us, it teach us and open us up to what it was designed for, which is to be a tool in our hands that functions to work in cooperation with God's love and wisdom to bring happiness and aid and help and healing and whatever people need to the human race, for us to be part of the health of the human race, which sounds fun. And I, I feel like, sign me up, where do I start? And what do I do to really make that happen? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next episode. We're going to look at how we can live in cooperation with the divine design and two simple steps. Join us next time for two steps to awaken God's design. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to support our newly established endowment fund for Off the Left Eye. Consider your ability to be a part of our growing family by going to otle.cosvox.com today to make a one-time or recurring donation. 
Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins.